0: welcome back to the spartan pride podcast jonathan shop here with you on the fans first sports network and we are in the middle of summer welcome to july whether that's good bad ugly for you i hope you had a good fourth of july holiday and we are now in the final month before the 2023 season begins i am looking forward to it i'm sure you're looking forward to it There's a decent chance you're just catching up with this before then. If so, thanks for coming by. What we're doing is taking a look back at the 2013 Michigan State Spartans, which many of you know are one of the best teams in Michigan State history. We've been doing that for a number of weeks. We're going to continue it all the way through August. Last week was the Notre Dame review, where we looked at the outlook moving forward, the article I wrote before the game. Then we looked at the game itself, which of course is one of the most controversial in Spartan history. And this week, we're gonna look at Iowa, which was the game after Notre Dame back in 2013. We'll do a little look back at the Outlook Moving Forward article, which is reflections on Notre Dame and looking ahead to Iowa. This is actually one of the more interesting articles from 2013 as I look back at it. We'll talk about the game itself and then what's next on the Spartan Pride podcast. Here, part of the fans first, Sports Network. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Chase It Again is the name of the series that's posted on the Spartan Pride substack. What that is is basically reposting of the exact articles I wrote during the season of 2013 back at Spartan Nation. For those of you that read it and there were hundreds of thousands of people that were reading this stuff, thanks very much. If you remember reading it, that's very impressive. I don't know about you. I don't remember too much about what I read 10 years ago. But that's what we're doing. We're going to be doing it all the way through August. There'll be other editions of the Spartan Pride Podcast too, if you're not interested in looking back. But we're going to be looking back and continuing with Iowa today. And as we go through July, the plan is to have two episodes a week of the Spartan Pride Podcast. One of those, for most weeks, will be a look back at a given week's game. Now, let's take a look back at the outlook moving forward. You know, interesting stuff in here that stood out as I looked back, including just the basic idea that Michigan State's offense was in a rut. There were no explosive plays to that point in the season. And really, as we look back and we talked to Coach D about this at MSU Atlanta Day when he gave us an exclusive to talk about this 2013 team, it had been one year nearly to the day since Michigan State lost Fanoti, a starting offensive lineman, and Travis Jackson. That was a really big deal. And Notre Dame was maybe the first week in a long time in a big game that Michigan State had really controlled the offensive line. At that point in 2013, we still didn't know what was to come. The offense was really struggling for explosives. And when I look back, I notice that, you know, this was really the first time that Finotti and Jackson were back on the field together. Now there's a note in this article that is extremely interesting, and I would like somebody to ask Nick Saban about in a couple of weeks at SEC Media Days. Saban had said that when an offensive line gets tired during the game, there is nothing that can be done to refresh them. You can't refresh an offensive lineman that got tired during a game. I'm going to go back to that famous or infamous Citrus Bowl loss against Alabama, and we should spend a whole episode on this one day, but the hidden issue in that game actually was the weather. It actually was Michigan State's offensive linemen getting a little bit of heat shock, if you will, and not being able to recover, and Spartan football not having the depth at that point to handle it. So, really stand out part of this article, and I think it's still true today, but we got to get Coach Saban and Coach Tucker and others on the on the board about this, is whether or not you can do anything to refresh an offensive lineman during the game. Saban said you could not. That was a problem for Michigan State when Finotti and Jackson were obviously out. And in 2013 and 14 and 15, it proved out to be a dividend as more guys were able to play. The table was kind of set without realizing it, the table was really set that week going into Iowa. Michigan State had settled in on Connor Cook to be the starting quarterback, which was a surprise and not necessarily a positive on paper because you had some real development issues with Andrew Maxwell and honestly development issues with O'Connor and Cook too. It, it was not lost on anybody that Michigan State did not have an outstanding starting quarterback at that point. Now Jeremy Langford, was a guy that was just kind of coming around at the right time. At that point, he had been in that program three years. He was new as a running back, and he was certainly a home run threat. It's so interesting to see what Coach D said about Lankford considering how great a run he would be going on from there in green and white. Really sneaky fast, sneaky strong. Michigan State knew what they had, They didn't know if it would translate to the running back position. Uh, Boy, oh boy, did it translate. But at that time, nobody knew. Spartan football was 103rd ranked in the country going into the Iowa game. No real sign of good stuff to come. And I got a great, great quote from Kirk Ferentz saying, I don't think we're expecting a run and shoot or an option attack. The things we've seen them do through the years, that's what we can expect on Saturday. Right or wrong, that was the tag on the Spartan offense at that point. We're taking a look back at the outlook moving forward the week of the Iowa game in 2013 here on the Spartan Pride Podcast. The defense was such a known quality at that point. The quality was known. The quantity of turnovers is really what took that defense up a level in 2013. It's funny to look back at what I wrote because I said, you know, maybe this could be the very best defense Michigan State football has seen under Mark D'Antonio. It looks like it was. It's funny because Notre Dame kind of was a preview of what was to come. Iowa was extremely down at that point. The run the Iowa football program went on, and uh, we talked about this in the Substack. 10 years later, looking back at the very bottom, who knew Iowa and Michigan State were about to take off like they did. If you think about it, this is their relatively early in 2013. Michigan State would go on to win the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl, In 2014, they would be fifth in the country, just missing out a playoff spot. 2015, they would make the Final Four after winning the Big Ten again. And they did so beating Iowa by just a smidge at the very end of an old-style Big Ten title game. So, at this point in 2013, Iowa had lost 10 of their last 15 Big Ten games, and it looked like things would not be going well for the Hawks. But it did. Isn't that funny how that works? Turnovers were the key for this defense. That's what had set it apart early in the season. And they knew that they did not want to repeat what had happened in 2012. We'll get back to that in a second. Because some of you may remember the term Iowa flat and we will revisit it and put it away one more time. Special teams was in transfer, in flux, in transition at Notre Dame. Kevin Muma duck hooks one against Notre Dame. He gets the hook. Michael Geiger comes in, starts off what turns out to be a fantastic career. The bye week also shook up the return game. Coming out of that bye week, AJ Sims was out. McGarrett Kings was a guy looking to do both roles, kind of like Devin Thomas did in 2007. That's timely for today, folks, because I don't know who's going to return the ball for Michigan State this fall, but I am very confident, based on Mel Tucker's words, that the best player to return kicks will be out returning kicks as often as possible. That's a good sign for Spartan football. Overall, I... In that section we re aha we revisit the Iowa Flat 2012 game. I don't want to belabor it, but for my money, the 2012 loss at home against Iowa was the worst in the Mark Dantonio era. Now there are some competitors later later at the very end, but I don't think that there's one as bad. Michigan State came out dead flat. They did not adjust and boom, oh, man, did they just absolutely lose to an awful team how bad was iowa in 2012 they beat northern illinois by a point northern iowa and minnesota and a division two team that was a four and eight team they were really bad the message was clear iowa was better their third down defense was better their quarterback jake rudock was better michigan state had to show up in iowa and could not expect anything but a better team than iowa however And this is so funny to look back on it because maybe that was actually a turning point for Michigan State football under Mark D'Antonio. During the week, D'Antonio was asked by me about the Iowa flat performance. And he said something that I'm going to read to you in full because it actually provides a turning point for Spartan football. We're going to do that right here on the Spartan Pride podcast. As I've worked and covered Michigan State football for years and years, and almost all the D'Antonio era, my goal was always to basically be accurate. Call it like I saw it, but try to be as accurate as possible. Not blowing sunshine, not throwing shade. The Iowa flat game was one that had to be called out, and it was, but it looks like it's one that, when we look back, was actually learned from. What Mark D'Antonio told me before the 2013 game was this. We'll do some things. We'll do, I'm sorry, what was this? We'll do some different things in the morning to make sure that when we do hit game time, we'll be ready to go. You've got to have your motor running, you've got to have your attitude right. So this was before D'Antonio came up with the idea of keeping the lion in the cage and all the other taglines and really the mentality shift that Michigan State football had in 2013, 14, 15, uh, through 2017, through really as long as they could. You could argue that that there wasn't a lot at the very tail end of the Antonio area, but that's for another show. For the bulk of Michigan State's phenomenal run with Mark D'Antonio, which is 13, 14, 15, and 17 things actually had changed. And perhaps they changed from the Iowa flat game because there's not a lot of flat performances after that game and that great run that Michigan State had. It is a very interesting thing to look back at, something that Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio should be commended for because whatever they changed, they stuck with it, they evolved from it, it worked big time. So that's a look at what we were thinking going into the iowa game now we're going to spend some time on this perhaps another thought section because it is actually really pretty strong as i look back at it it's almost uh, comical to look at there was a question of whether michigan state's quarterback room was too full you had Nichols, Foles, cousins you had too many quarterbacks for michigan state to apparently handle in 2013 it caused some issues it caused development issues Uh, Andrew Maxwell did not develop as he should have. I think that's fair to say Connor Cook obviously developed beyond anyone's belief. Tyler O'Connor didn't develop. Damian Terry didn't really develop. So I, I wonder if we look back and I think you did start to see some separation in some of those, those classes with players that, uh, maybe Michigan state didn't get an elite 11 quarterback every year. Uh, it's funny how you look back at that now. And, um, Things kind of ebbed and flowed in the game, but there was a time where Michigan State had too many good quarterbacks, as evidenced by your NFL rosters still this year. The NCAA didn't really punish Penn State, and I talk about that again. Um, The problem I have with the punishment on Penn State is the problem still that I have today. The culture that permitted that to go on was never punished. The culture at Penn State And it's not all the fans, for God's sake. But the culture needed to appreciate just how bad that situation was. The way to do it was to give Penn State a two-year death penalty. By this point in 2013, it had so far beyond moved in the past that I felt like it needed to be mentioned. Um, I still wonder what the victims of that think to this day. But it was still pretty alert and on our mind only a couple years later. Because Penn State, you know, I don't think the culture there was ever punished at all. They never really had time to sit and think like, wow, how did this possibly go on? Scholarship reform was a note that I made. I'm not the only one that ever had this idea, but it was an original idea. I'm sure other people across the country thought the same. This is me in 2013. What if scholarships covered each day of the week except game days and on game days, college football players were paid just like any other university student employee. I mentioned that to some Big Ten coaches and they thought it was an interesting idea. If I recall, some thought it was a great idea. A couple said they hadn't thought of it before. I would present to you that had that become the case somewhere in the middle 2015s, college football does not look as ridiculous out of control and airborne as it does right now. It is right now shot out of a cannon and no one knows where it's going to land and nobody's got a safety hatch and it's kind of ruining the game for a lot of folks across the country. It was not an issue in 2013, but some of us were thinking and writing about that then. So if you hear anybody say, well, nobody could have seen this coming, they're not correct. They're dead wrong. No big 10 rivalry is more overhyped than the little Brown jug. I wrote that. Of course that's true. It remains true. Um, the little Brown jug is a nothing. The jug is more famous than the game. It's really not a big deal. I wouldn't put it in the top four. I wouldn't even put, I don't know if it's a top five rivalry in the big 10. It's probably not, you know, you've got the great ax game up there. You got Michigan, Ohio state, you got Michigan state, Michigan. Um, You've got uh, Wisconsin, Iowa. I I don't think the brown jug is anywhere on the radar. So that's us looking back at the outlook moving forward on there. You know, it's funny when you look back at 2013, what would become of these two teams? It's funny how well this writing aged. And we're going to take a quick look back at that ball game, 26-14 win by Michigan State, to wrap up this edition of the Spartan Pride Podcast. Michigan State goes into Iowa City. It doesn't start very well. Michigan State is down 14-10 at halftime. Likely kicking trash cans, kicking themselves, kicking them, themselves in the tail. And the second half comes out and they flatten Iowa 16-0. So Michigan State wins 26-14. to They go to 4-1. They're 1-0 in the conference and off they are going. That defense... The snarling Narduzis, as I called them, holds Iowa to 23 yards of rushing. That's not many. As you know, and as you'll be reminded as soon as a Labor Day weekend, the goal of any defense is to make the opponent one-dimensional. Iowa running the ball for 23 yards as nearly zero-dimensional. It's kind of a wild card that they scored two at all in that game. Michigan State won the turnover battle two to one, two interceptions for Darquez Denard, one of the great Michigan State quarterbacks of the modern era. There are other seeds that are planted in this game. Not just Denard, not just the defense that's beginning to dominate on the line of scrimmage and with the run defense. Michael Geyer kicking three field goals and big time Benny Fowler, one of my favorite receivers from the Dantonio era with a 37 yarder. Oh man, there's some seeds that are about to germinate with this 2013 team. How about Michael Sadler? Do you remember this fake punt? Sadler fakes a punt, takes it 25 yards. It really was the thickest level of seal that Michigan State put on Iowa that day. That was one of those where the mentality was, we are going to take this game. We are not going to hang around and see if the Hawkeyes will give it to us. We are flat going to take it. And they did. The Spartans would win 26-14, to 14, really flattening Iowa and suffocating them in the second half. Some folks have looked at this, I believe D'Antonio and Cook in the past have looked at this as kind of a takeoff point for this team. I did not see it as a takeoff point, but I do appreciate that this was kind of the starting point, not necessarily the let's find the high gear point, but the starting point of, okay, we have the pieces to do what we want to do, contend for and win the Big Ten and compete at a national level. That's what was started in Iowa City in 2013 for a team that would go on to run the table, win all the Big Ten games by double digits, and win the last traditional Rose Bowl, as we will talk about in late August. This is the Spartan Pride Podcast. I am Jonathan Shop. I appreciate your time. Your time is your currency as a listener. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. SpartanPridePodcast at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts to share, we will be back soon with another edition of the Spartan Pride Podcast right here on the Fans First Sports Network.